0: This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now the message. Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to Crossroads. It's uh, it's full here this morning. Uh, that's a problem that we like to have. And uh, oh, they're going to make me look different now. <laughs> Special lights high intensity, suave setting. Okay, so anyway, um, it's great to have you here and today's a, a, another important day in the life of Crossroads at Montgomery and we're gonna get into that as the uh, the message goes on. But uh, I guess I wanna start out, we're gonna talk a little bit about tables and families. So some of you, are, I'm hoping as, as we begin to talk, you'll, you'll think back to perhaps your childhood memories what was it like for you when you sat around the family table? For some of us, that was a pretty uh, positive, encouraging, fun. You know, those are great memories. Others of you, not so fun. But it's, it's packed with emotion. And every family has its own uniqueness, right? So was your family one that would talk up a storm at the table? Or was it impolite to talk? And you just sat there. Growing up in my house, uh, you have to understand, my mom didn't do much of the cooking or anything like that. My dad did that. He loved to cook, but his idea of having people over was something like this. There you go. How about it. And every every time friends would come over, basically, my dad would throw the dishes on the table, throw a pot on and say, welcome. And I thought that was what you did when you had guests over. You just That's we just put a pile of plates and stuff and whatever and knock yourself out. And growing up, a lot of my friends found it enjoyable to be at my house because it was casual and relaxed. Later, I found out that what civilized people do is they actually serve you. (laughs) They actually have special plates. You have a place setting of your own rather than just scooping it off of some place on the table. So some some of you grew up in casual homes and some were more formal. Some were uh, healthy, happy spots. But even in the healthiest family, sometimes family dinners were a place where things came unravel. And the reason for all of this is that families and tables go together. Every family ends up by being at a table. And the best use of a table seems to be when a family gathers. There is something special and unique about a family gathering around a table. In fact, I'm not sure that a family is ever more family than when it gathers around a table. Taking meals together stands out as something that families do. And if you take a meal with friends, one of the things you probably enjoy about it is that it feels like family. Just this week, somebody was talking to me. Uh, they, They had come into this room they had been here at Crossroads years ago, and they walked in. The first thing they said was, you know, this feels just like Crossroads. I said, yeah. And then they said, still feels like family. The best group of friends, the best surrounding. When when we're really going for that ideal kind of experience, we want it to feel like family, gathering around a table. So you learn a lot about a family if you can watch them around the table. If, if there were little, you know, webcams watching families and you just observed, even with no sound, right? If you were just watching how some families interact, you would start to get a sense of how that family works. You'd get a sense of who's in charge. You'd get a chance, uh, an understanding of maybe who the black sheep is. It all shows up around a family table, Now, what I want to point out this morning, we're going to take the Lord's table in a minute. So there's an obvious connection here. We're also going to celebrate membership this morning. All of us, former members of Montgomery, former members of Crossroads Community. Today, we all become one family. Tables. Family. Brilliant, huh? I'm like that. So I guess our question this morning would be, what's so special about families and tables to God? The truth is that table, meals with family, having meals together, tables and families have always been a part of God's plan for humanity. Now, remember back in Genesis, every meal in the Garden of Eden, every meal was a meal with God because he was right there. And after sin... Still, table fellowship continued to be one of the, the pieces in God's redemptive plan. In Exodus 24, if you've got a Bible, you can open it to Exodus 24. We're starting verse 9. But we read this back when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments. And we read, we read that uh, Moses and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of whatever that is, and a blue sky. Do you do that when you read some of this? You're just like, okay, that's uh, like better than asphalt. Bright blue sky, uh, bright blue as the sky, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders, the leaders of Israel. God, they saw God and they ate and drank. And that's what just stood out to me. I'm supposed to move the slide. Is that here they come into God's presence and, and there's a danger that God would just strike them dead. And instead he sets up a meal and he says, let's eat. You come into God's presence, and he says, let's eat. You thought it was just your mom that did that. But God himself, when his people would come into his presence, it was common for him to say, why don't you eat while you're here? In Deuteronomy 14, we read this. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all of your fields' produce each year. Eat of the tithe of your grain, new wine, the olive oil, the firstborn of your herds and flocks, In the presence, sorry, in the presence of the Lord, your God, and at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord, your God always. So the idea was that God often wanted to bring his people together. They would bring offerings, sacrifices, but the idea was go ahead and consume them while you're here. Isn't that kind of strange? When you think of God, do you think of him as this really close buddy that you can always count on? He is. Or do you think of this majestic creator, all powerful with a temple that would make your feet rattle and and smoke and fire? He's that too. But I'm going to suggest that we don't usually think of God as the chef, as the cook, as the server, and yet... Throughout the scripture over and over, something is special about eating in his presence. Some of you are saying, yes, I knew I was more spiritual than everybody thought because I'm a gifted eater. <laughs> Around here, we're gifted eaters. We, we can we can put down some chow. But maybe you never realize that it's actually a part of God's plan to redeem us. When he tries to say, I want you close to me he puts a pot on the table and he wants us to eat. This this focus of his goes all the way to the end of salvific history. In Revelation 19, we see the end of times. Jesus has come and and he is ruler. There's a new heaven, a new earth. And the angel in verse uh, 19, verse 9 says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the Isn't it interesting? It's not just wedding ceremony of the Lamb. The wedding supper of the Lamb. That included the ceremony. But even in the new creation, sitting at a table together captures something about what God wanted us to understand about salvation, what it means to know him. So tables aren't just pragmatic necessities well we got to eat we might as well sit and eat it says something here's the question what is God trying to tell us when he makes sitting at a table and taking a meal together such a kind of an important part of his plan what's he trying to say uh, Jesus took meals with his disciples. He, he traveled with them. He lived with them. He was close. Everyday meals, probably just like you and I, you know, you have lunch, you have dinner. Who's getting this? We've got a few records of their little dispute about where lunch was coming from. And Jesus had a few lessons to teach them there. But I think most meals with Jesus, if it wasn't a miracle, uh, were p- pretty mundane. We, they would eat together, drink together. Unless, of course, you're a Pharisee. If you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee, lunch with Jesus pretty much ruined your whole day. But for the most part, dinner with Jesus was probably just like what we have together. Except for his last meal. At his last meal with his disciples, Jesus did something. He said something. That infused this this idea of sitting at a table together, infused it with meaning that we never would have expected. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start reading in verse 17. We'll skip a few, few passages, but just to give the idea, Matthew 26, verse 17, And on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? The ceremonial meal. Ha ha. See, again, it's all of Israel's history was dotted with these meals and celebrations. When they would worship, they would eat. And when they would celebrate, they would eat. See, we're not all that far from that. Verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. There he is, just like everyone else. Verse 26. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. If you've been around church, you kind of know this. We're going to do it later. This is one of the phrases that we'll quote as we take the Lord's Supper. But remember, he's reclining at the table. They're eating bread and drinking. But then he takes bread. Special bread? No, just the bread. It's what he says and does. Then he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. And here it is. This is my body. This is my body. Now the passage says he adds that the, this is my body, which is given for you. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to all of them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. (laughs) Wow. If watching a family around their family table can tell us something about that family. Then what does the Lord's table tell us about God's family? What is it that we should notice about a family that gathers around this table? Just a couple of points this morning. First. The family that gathers around this table is a family that has been deeply affected by a traumatic death. Boy, that'll set the set you up for a great holiday meal, won't it? And yet, the truth is that every every time as he takes his bread and drinks his cup, he, he's he's telling them about something that's going to happen. You can almost see them, can't you? This is my body. This is bread. This is my blood. Can you can you feel the confusion? It would become clear only after he had died on the cross. He right he rose from the dead and they go, "Oh my word!" On the Passover, we used to always have these, act, these sacrifices, and the animal was killed, and the blood was spilt, and it was temporary. You're the Lamb of God. What was I th- And then they got it. But every time they took this meal, it would remind them too that his body was broken and his blood was shed. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, so whenever you eat this bread or you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, every time we take these elements, we're forced to remember about a trauma. Now, I know. I know that there are families in this room today. Who know what it is like to experience a family trauma. For some of you, it's it's simply the, the pain and the loss of, of a death. But it, when it's grandma and she's 90 and there's no surprise and she's ready to go to be with the Lord, that's one thing. It's still a loss. But But closer to what we're describing today would be those of you who've had somebody taken completely unexpectedly. A car accident. An act of violence like our nation has just experienced again and if you have lost someone in your family someone that should still be here when you gather around the table there's an empty chair maybe you even thought to yourself how are we ever going to be okay again there's hope For every family that has experienced trauma, because even though we gather around this table, think about what the disciples went through. The person that they thought was going to rule the world instead was crucified like a criminal and thrown into a borrowed tomb. It was over. They had they had put all of their bets on one guy and it seemed like it failed. You I cannot I can't even begin to imagine the pain they felt. And yet what we're going to find out at this table is that even though those who eat at this family table are affected by sin, I mean by death, death is not permanent. It's not the end. Second thing we notice is that a a family that sits around this table, the Lord's table, as we sit around it, it reminds us, of our participation in the benefits of his death. Uh, Matthew 26 says, um, while they were eating, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, take and eat. First Peter. In 1 Peter 2, we read this. Peter's writing to a church just like ours, and he says, he himself bore our sins. In his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. It's one thing when you gather around a table and there's an empty chair. Probably as soon as you get there and everybody sits down, mom starts to cry. Others of you hang your head, what can you say? And then you you awkwardly try to start eating and act like everything's okay. But what if if the person that would be filling that chair, what if that empty spot was someone, perhaps a a police officer, perhaps a military officer, somebody who who was in the process of protecting life, or maybe simply a bystander who rushed in to help someone else who was hurt and in the process lost their life. What would it change if everyone knew that the person that would be here and isn't lost their life, but in the process of them losing their life, they secured ours. So now another feeling is added. Yes, loss and grief, but also such pride and such thankfulness. You would swap places with them in a minute if you could. But instead, all we can do is say, Oh, thank you. Like a gold star family. Those who gather around the Lord's table know that when he died, as traumatic as that was, we benefited. Every gold star family that I've ever met would, any member would quickly swap places and have that loved one back if they could. That's not possible. Instead, the right response is to be thankful and proud of the gift that was given. The third thing I think as we gather around this table that we should think about is that a family table like the Lord's table is a place of nourishment. Believe it or not, even when you gather together and gathering is a painful experience because of the loss, you can't help but be reminded at the same time, At that table, being there is actually healing. Imagine, again, a family that's experienced loss, and because you are uncomfortable with the loss, you stop going to family dinners. You stop going there. You just can't deal with the empty chair. But what you will miss will be everyone else healing, realizing that though we've lost one, we haven't lost all. In fact, fact, you share my grief and I share yours yeah I feel that way too oh but remember and you share a story and you and before you know it instead of just tears there's laughter and there's thankfulness for the life you see there is nourishment at the Lord's table in John 6 we read this starting in verse 56 Now, if you're here and you have put your faith in Jesus as your savior, you know exactly what he's talking about. For those of you that are here that you've not you've not trusted in Jesus, you're not a follower of his. I guess what I would explain is that when Jesus died, he made the atoning payment for our sin. Not, Not just mine, but yours. He died in our place. And now because of that, through faith, he offers eternal life. It is a gift that he gives freely to anyone who would receive it from him by faith. What he's saying is that those who receive the message of his death, his body and blood sacrifice, that he died for me. What they receive is nourishment that gives eternal life. Gathering around the Lord's table as we take a little piece of cracker and we take the cup, those things symbolize his body and blood. But it's not just symbolism here, folks. In a sense, there is real life here, not in those pieces, but in the fact that here we are reenacting what it means to put our faith in Jesus. He died for me, and by taking him to myself through faith, I have life. One last point. When we come to this family table, it reminds us that we are a part of a family. You know, how many of you can remember last Thanksgiving dinner for your, your family dinner? How many of you remember that? How many of you didn't realize that I was actually talking and, and you were asleep? And, okay. How many remember Thanksgiving dinner? Most of you. Okay. I want to point out that remembering last year's Thanksgiving is not the same as showing up at this year's Thanksgiving. First of all, I'm speaking that to all adult children, okay? Mom's expecting you to show up. But more than that, it's not enough to sit around and say, oh, boy, last Thanksgiving was great. Yep, yep, I'm really having a great family. Boy, that turkey, everything was great. It was perfect. It's great, great. All of those thoughts will never replace actually going to the next meal. There are so many people who call themselves believers, and, and I'm not saying that they're not, but they they stay away from God's people. They stay away from commitments to God's people. Uh, they've been hurt, or they've been embarrassed, or it just doesn't seem to relate. And yet... <laughs> Isn't that what your Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners are like? You know, you're like, oh, boy, Uncle so-and-so's here. And, like, my sister, will she ever stop talking? It's not all about her. And, you know, and why is mom crying again? Why is mom crying now, right? And you just, this weird stuff that goes on, and you come out, and sometimes there's a dish that you don't know what it is. I remember my dad, he was a great cook, but he was struggling with a brain tumor, and we didn't know yet. He was just kind of, we just thought maybe he was absent-minded and He brought out a dish one Thanksgiving, put it on there. It looked like it was supposed to be sweet potatoes, but something was wrong. See, normally sweet potatoes have those marshmallows nicely browned on the top. My dad was out of marshmallows. So in a quick fix, he thought those little starlight mints would work just as well. slide that puppy under the broiler, just brown him a little bit. It was unique. It was different. Memorable. To be honest, once it cooled, it was impossible to get through that. I think we threw the dish away. It was just molten, right? We all have things like that that happen at our tables, but we don't discard our families over them. This table is a meal for a family. A family is marked by its commitment to one another through thick and thin. It doesn't mean they don't embarrass you once in a while. Of course they do. She's your mother. I mean, sorry. uh, Right? It's just what happens. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 10. Again, he's writing to a church in Corinth just like a church in Lansdale. He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? What he's saying is when we take this, aren't we participating in his death? The answer would be yes. And is not the bread that we break in participation of the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. His point is simple. When we're all taking part of the same meal, we do so and it reminds us that we're part of the same family. You can't choose your earthly family for the most part. And you can't really choose your church family. You see, Jesus calls us, he calls us and we respond in faith. And then we look to our left and right and realize oh, you're here too. then I'm committed to you. So, just a few moments we're going to go to the Lord's table. But before we do that, I want you just to review these things in your mind. As you take these elements. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, it is perfectly fine to just let the just pass the plate by. You don't have to participate. It makes no sense for you to kind of pretend like you're celebrating something that you're, you don't believe yet. We're not offended. But if you are a believer, as these elements come, you have to remember, he died for me. Just as much as one of those people running into that L.A. fairground, trying to help one person and took bullets themselves, just like they died in an effort to help someone else, just like that husband shielded his wife. He died for you. His sacrifice means I get to live. I benefit. I am nourished and I grow every time I stop and consider what he's done. And I'm not alone at this table. those who are taking this element with me are my brothers and sisters. So when we come to this table, we affirm my need. I needed to be saved. We confirm the fact that I'm redeemed because of what Jesus did. I can feed here. This is a place of nourishment for me. If this is not the end, then there is hope. And where there is hope, the Spirit brings great strength. And I have a creed here. I have a family. These are my people. For good or bad, they're a little odd, but they're my people. And guess what? I'm one of their people. By the way, Jesus affirms a few things, too. As we come to this table, he says, hey, by the way, remember, this is my body, which is broken for you, which I gave for you. Come, he says, eat of me. And he affirms as we take these things, as we remember his death for us through the bread and the cup. He says, and remember, just like I came back, I will return. I am preparing a place for you. Whatever is going on right now, don't believe the lie that it's all there is. I'm coming back. And that's the source of our hope. Let's pray. Every head bowed and eyes closed, just take a second. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, we would love for you to do that. We would love for you to believe, to realize that, you know what, I've been afraid to admit it, but I am a sinner. I don't deserve God's pleasure. I don't deserve his forgiveness. I just haven't known what to do about it. The good news is the gospel says that Jesus loved you enough to die in your place, that he died for you and he offers eternal life as a gift. You receive it by faith. Perhaps today you want to settle that. God, I'm not sure about this. I'm not joining some church today. But, but if you died for me, I would be a fool to turn the offer down. I believe you love me enough to die for me. And I'm trusting in you as my Savior. But believers, how important it is that we stop and remember what he did for us. And remember how that action brings purpose and power and meaning to our lives now. It affects our lives now because it gives us a future and a hope. We endure difficulty now because we know it won't last forever. Jesus is returning for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift that you give. Thank you for coming, giving your life as a ransom for many. As your body was broken and your blood was shed, you you purchased for us redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we ask that as we celebrate what it means to be a part of your family, and as we take these elements, that you would be glorified and that we would be reminded and encouraged of the hope that is ours. course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org